Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Morning shot. Welcome to Morning Shot, folks. I'm Ahmad Akhtar. Now, this week, we cover a slew of energy-related topics on The Breakfast Show in line with the Singapore International Energy Week that's taking place right now. Energy ministers, industry leaders, startups, and institutional investors are gathered in town for a week of impactful discussions in the energy space, innovation showcases, and knowledge exchange. Today, we delve into hydrogen production, something that has slowly but surely crept into many climate discussions. To help us better understand if hydrogen can really push the envelope on clean energy, we have with us Atilio Pinieri. He's the founder and CEO of H2U, the hydrogen utility. It's an Australia-based developer behind a multi-billion dollar green hydrogen and ammonia project. Atilio, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Now, I want to contextualize this rather complex topic for the listeners first up. Producing hydrogen takes a considerable amount of energy because hydrogen atoms don't exist on their own. And that energy is not necessarily renewable either. But now we have green and even blue hydrogen. Can you help us understand what the differences are here? Hydrogen itself is a molecule and happens to be the smallest element. The good thing about hydrogen is by mass it's got packed um, a very large energy content, but actually the highest energy content by mass. So in theory, hydrogen is a very good means of delivering energy from one place to another uh, or a carrier. Now, there is different methods of making hydrogen. Some people attempted to kind of you know, simplify them by, by way of color coding, if you want. So green hydrogen is primarily hydrogen uh, produced from renewable energy resources, whereby renewable resources such as wind, solar, but also kind of legacy hydro geothermal are used to power what is called the electrolysis process, which is literally the process to split water into the two elemental atoms, hydrogen on one side and oxygen on the other side. Right. In this process, the energy spent in electrolysis is actually packed in the form of the hydrogen that becomes, a, uh, if you want a fungible fuel, that can be used to then take the energy on the other side, whether in transport or large thermal power plants or in a, a wood what I call feedstock applications uh, as a means to, to support um, steel making or fertilizers. Yes, there is energy involved in the conversion from effectively, in that case, you know, from, from water to hydrogen. But the reason why this is interesting is the long-term durability of the storage option. The other element is blue hydrogen, which is effectively hydrogen produced from hydrocarbons that, you know, as the word says, they contain hydrogen and then carbon and, and other elements. And uh, we the addition of carbon capture and storage element. So in such a way that it's not just the, the total set of emissions that will be associated with that production method, which is something referred to as grey hydrogen, and I'll stop mentioning colours from now, uh, but also by capturing or reusing the carbon for other elements, you know, there's an element of offsetting the emissions associated. So the focus is to bring these to market to support decarbonization and variety of end users, but also to bring this to market at scale by way of other carriers that themselves are based on hydrogen, for example, ammonia, to deliver, if you want, decarbonize either totally by way of green or partially by way of blue energy to uh, various economies. 
So I think that's where there's a strong interest here in Singapore to participate in sourcing this to support Singapore as an economy, but also uh, some of the traditional strengths of Singapore, for example, in the shipping fuels and so forth. Now, our existing energy systems are fairly well entrenched across societies around the world. How challenging is it to integrate hydrogen into the mix then? In many ways, hydrogen itself represents an element of further integration. So the fact that you have in the the green hydrogen example, by way of the electrolysis, means to translate intermittent renewable energy into a dependable, storable fuel, uh, means they're actually bridging across between if you're on the, the realm of electricity type markets and the realm of gas or fuel markets. So it actually adds to the flexibility of, of the energy systems in that way because it really announces the various distribution channels that are already available, but really creates the opportunity to match the intermittency of renewables which with new large loads that can move very flexibly but you know, result in storing energy for a later use or in the case of Australia to Singapore, for example, for transfer to, to traditional energy markets uh, with a new decarbonized fuel solution. All right, let's talk about your company, H2U. Now, we understand it's recently announced a project called H2 Hub. It's a multi-billion dollar renewable energy complex producing green hydrogen and green ammonia. And it's proposed to be established in Gladstone in Australia, in Queensland. Could you let us in on what to expect with this project, some of the challenges associated with scaling up the hydrogen production? So first and foremost about the project, so H2Hub Glaston is it's a multi-billion but multi-gigawatt green hydrogen and green ammonia project. So we're seeking to effectively create the hydrogen for a number of local users, but also value add that to ammonia to, to then deliver actually to a customer in Glaston itself who's been working with us, Orica, as well as to support export market applications. Uh, for example, we've announced in November 2022 working with one of the Korean Jenkos, Korea EWP. The project is actually one of the most advanced projects. There was a study for understanding how to import hydrogen or ammonia into Singapore back in 2019. Mm. Uh, we just announced the project then, and that study was delivered at the end of 2020. But yeah, our project was featured as one of the top projects globally to support this transition. And uh, we went through a number of milestones since. So we're actually in, in what is called the front-end engineering design phase. And we're the first project in Australia to have been issued in terms of reference for an environmental impact statement. So we're in the studies. The expectations that we'll build the project, we're targeting closing finance by the end of next year and build the project to have its own first gas, so commissioning in the first half of 2027 or literally producing for the customer, first customer which is co-located with the project literally across the road. And then by the end of 2017, initiate exports. Um, Glaston is quite unique. Obviously, um, we've got three LNG trains already. It's a big center in the region for, for LNG trade and traditional football trade. But uniquely in, in Glaston, the version of Orica, the customer, there's already an existing ammonia import terminal. So we're working with them and, and other partners, including Volpac and, and, and Wakai, to convert that into an export terminal. So there's an element of readiness with the project location that allows us to participate early into the market. Said that, uh, the scaling challenges are not unlike any new project in the sense of, by and large, a lot of the um, ingredients of, of the solution are already in place, but there is a bit of scaling up required, much like it happened for solar over the last 15 years, 20 years, to increase the production capacity of the electrolyzers, so the devices that are used to, to produce the hydrogen, everything else is 
standard compressors and, and, and other process equipment that you'll find in, in traditional fossil-based uh, solution today. Atelio, you mentioned earlier on about the benefits, one of the key benefits of hydrogen usage being its storage capabilities. Now, this is obviously increasingly coming into focus. What capacity do you expect hydrogen storage sites to have? Uh, how will they differ from those of, of for other natural gases? And do we already have the necessary infrastructure? So the hydrogen can be stored in a variety of form. It can be liquefied itself. Although we're talking about extreme cryogenic temperatures, like very close to absolute zero or affecting minus 250 degrees Celsius. And um, there is a scaling element of, of them to, to, to come to the size of what traditional um, energy infrastructure is there. You've got the largest tank is actually built for the rocket launch system by NASA. <laughs> so there's a, there's a way to go. In ammonia, which is this molecule which effectively combines hydrogen with nitrogen, which is 80% of the air that, that we breathe, there is an element of scalability already in place there. Actually, there is one ammonia tank operated by Bopak here in Singapore. But the scale, uh, as you touch on, needs to really ramp up to uh, some of these kind of important tank farms, uh, very similar to what you see for the energy industry or for the oil industry today. So it's quite a significant task. Ammonia itself is the basis of uh, two major value chains, agricultural fertilizers, nitrogen-based fertilizers, and explosives and other chemicals. So there is an existing trade in, in play. But the, the interesting thing is the adoption of ammonia in, as a hydrogen carrier for energy users will really far outpace the scale of the global ammonia trade today. We're talking about something which is in the order of 20 million tons per year today that might be um, the size of a single shipping participant <laughs> requirement. So there's a lot of work happening to use hydrogen through mobility application through a device called the fuel cell that operates in reverse to the electrolyzer, recombines hydrogen and oxygen to deliver power and, and water as a byproduct, which is part of the beauty of it. But also there's a lot of work on enabling traditional large-scale users, particularly coal power plants, which can co-fire ammonia, so substitute ammonia for part of all of the fuel eventually uh, they use today. And very importantly, the other sector, which is moving very quickly and is key to this, is the shipping sector. There's a lot of work to, to effectively use hydrogen-based fuels in traditional shipping engines. Um, actually, Singapore hosted a world first to ship methanol bunkering activity. Methanol is another molecule that could be produced by the blue or green hydrogen, and there's work underway to support um, ammonia ship bunkering. Uh, given the importance of Singapore to the shipping sector and the shipping sector to Singapore, this is really prospective for Singapore to maintain international shipping field pride. All right, Atelio, thank you so much. You've, uh, it's a complex topic and you've simplified it quite well for us. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. You're welcome. We've been in conversation with Attilio Pinieri. He's the founder and CEO of H2U, the hydrogen utility. It's an Australia-based developer behind a multi-billion dollar green hydrogen and ammonia project. And we've been talking about whether green hydrogen can indeed power our future. Stay with Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.